we're going to be having as a church. And I pray that you will think about it and join one of these. If you have any questions, let us know. And then finally, join us tonight, or yeah, this afternoon, this morning, whenever, right after our service. Um, downstairs, if you would, we are going to have a baptism service and um, looking forward to that. So if you're able to stick around, we'd love to have you. If you join us as we celebrate what God is doing in the lives of His people here. So, so keep those things in mind again. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. You know, when you, when you read the Old Testament, particularly the, the book of Deuteronomy, um, you of course know that God has given the people of Israel a law to keep brings them out of Egypt. He uh, leads them through the wilderness. He gives there on Mount Sinai the law that Moses writes down. Of course, we know from their disobedience and rebellion that the people of Israel did not keep the law and they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. And finally, when you get to the book of Deuteronomy, which actually means second law. It is a reiteration of the law that is contained in the first four, or at least Leviticus, Numbers, and Exodus. God, Moses repeats them. He repeats the words. He's telling the people of Israel, you're about to enter the promised land, and, and this is what God has commanded you to do. This is how God has commanded you to live. And he tells them in Deuteronomy chapter 4 especially the reason why they are to keep this law. In Deuteronomy 4 verse 6, keep them. And do them for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. Who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people so what is Moses telling him he's saying look you guys need to keep the law that God has given you because when you keep the law the people around you the other nations will look at you and say wow that is a great nation that is a wise nation that is an understanding nation the law of Israel was not just given to certainly to to bring them in a relationship with God because we know that God's covenant has always been by grace. It's been through faith. It's been through believing God. It's been through trusting Him. But they are to keep the law so that the nations around them would look at them and say, those individuals are different. They don't have numerous gods. They don't practice idolatry and, and worship to every god that they can think of. They don't engage in sexual promiscuity. And even some of the things, of course, that we're seeing our culture engage in today was, was rampant back then and maybe even more so. They sacrifice. They, they keep the Sabbath. They, they realize that honoring God is, is more important than making another dollar and, and doing whatever that the other nations did on the Sabbath. And so as the nation saw people of Israel faithful to the law of God, 
realize that these people are different. There's something special about them. We are, of course, living in the New Testament. We're in a new era. We no longer have a temple to go to, offer sacrifices. We don't call you. Make sure you're not going too many steps on the Sabbath day or make sure you're not working. We're not judging you by any of these experiences. We didn't do a clothing check when you came in this morning. Make sure everything was all neat and proper in order. Christ is our sacrifice. He is our Sabbath. He is our righteousness. So the question then becomes, how do we reflect the goodness of God to a world that wants to see it, that needs to see it? Well, some individuals would say we need a fancy show. We need lights and lasers. Maybe we need to have our pastors dress up as a Disney character, or Toy Story, Buzz Lightyear, whatever, and do a special sermon series about the latest movies that are out there. Others would say we need to be open and accommodating and welcoming to everyone and, and bring your lifestyle no matter who you are and we'll never, never ask anything different of you. Still others would say we need to withdraw. We need to become a cult. We need to be totally standoffish and wear clothing from a hundred years ago and not have cell phones or cars or what have you. But actually the Bible, the New Testament, Jesus teaches that there is something entirely different that would separate us from the rest of the world. John 13, he tells us what that something different is. He says, a new commandment I'm giving to you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples. Why? Because we have love for one another. In other words, the hallmark of the New Testament church is not that we dress different, although it's important that we dress modestly, not in a way that reflects attention to ourselves. It's not that we talk different, although our conversation certainly needs to be seasoned with salt and people need to hear that there's something different about us. Get together those of the same political affiliation. We don't just run down the opposition party, talk about how awful they are and whatever else. Although all of this is important, the ultimate sign, the ultimate reality that we are a people that are different is that when someone comes into the church, into the house of God, they should see a genuine love affection for each other. For the well-educated, the one who can speak in fluent King's English, as well as the one who can barely put a sentence together. They see it for the one whose family goes back to the founding of the country and we can trace our lineage and our roots all the way back to George Washington. The person that have only been in the shores of this country, maybe legally or not legally, or a few weeks or months. The one who is the same ethnicity as us, the one who is totally different. 
One is of the same gender as us, the ones. Totally different. Point is, the church should be characterized by love. And it's not just Jesus. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12-14 through speaks of the church and God's giftings of the church. He mentions that there are several gifts in the church, but that all gifts are given by the Holy Spirit. But then he immediately launches into the fact that the body of Christ is like our physical body. It's made up of many different parts. It's all united in one purpose. Body is working together to do one thing and whatever that one thing is you're doing, that's what your entire body is working to achieve. Of course, that is to say that our gifts are not greater than mine or your purpose is not greater than mine or mine is better than yours, but we are all working together. Of course, then in the Chapter 14, Paul explains that the gifts are to be used in an appropriate manner. They're to be used for the edifying of the church. It's not to bring confusion and chaos, but rather through our gifts and our administration, our usage of these gifts, the church is being built up. But of course, in the middle of 12 through 14 is chapter 13. In the middle of it all, Paul mentions that there is something greater than these spiritual gifts. Of course, what is that great thing that he's talking about? Chapter 13 tells us it is the love that we have. 1 Corinthians is not about marriage, even though it applies. And certainly, I'm going to marry someone as a pastor, not as a man. Don't worry. (laughs) That verse, that chapter would be applicable. I don't think Paul was writing on February 14th, although maybe he was, who knows, when he wrote that chapter. But he certainly wasn't writing because of Hallmark or St. Valentine. I don't even think Paul had recently watched a notebook with whoever and just felt sentimental and thought, I should write about love and marriage. Paul is using that chapter to speak to the church. The fact that we have this love for each other. This is a hallmark. This is the teaching of the new covenant. We are characterized by our love for one another. And you won't be surprised that King Solomon, even though he certainly didn't understand or know about the church, even though King Solomon wrote hundreds of years before the day of Pentecost, it's not a surprise that King Solomon talks about friendship. Friendship in the book of Proverbs. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. And so as we think about this, let's think first of all about things that can destroy our friendship. What are things that can destroy our friendship? Our love, if you would, with each other. What is, although friendship is a hallmark of the Christian life, the fact of the matter is Christians are sinful people. We are in the sanctification process. And we are failing to grow in our relationship with Christ that leads us to fighting battles of our own, making and choosing sometimes. Sometimes a part of that includes our actions towards our friends, towards each other. 
That's why we see in Proverbs this idea that there are things that can destroy friendship. First of all, there is there's a lack of wisdom. It's a lack of wisdom that can destroy a friendship. Proverbs 17, verse 18 says, One who lacks sense gives a pledge. He puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. Or some translations, your translation says, He puts up security for his friend. Commentary I read actually said that this verse connects with verse 16. Proverbs 17, which says, Why should a fool have money in his hand to buy wisdom when he has no sense? In other words, if you look at verses 16 and verses 18 together, it is telling us that a common source of conflict among friends is tension. Tension over money. As is brought about when one friend loans money or cosigns for another. A fool does not understand the use of money, including how to avoid complicating a relationship with financial entanglements. You see, when you lack discernment about who your friends are, your friends are not very good and they come to you and they want to borrow money and you wind up giving them money, you know what's going to happen. You are going to find yourself getting hurt and damaging your relationship, sometimes even with friends. Dave Ramsey said it best when he said, alone between family members or even friends, it isn't help. It's a trap for both parties. Family dinners and get-togethers are different when you're sitting down to eat with your creditors instead of just friends or family. And so if you want to give money to friends or family and you can afford it, give them the money. Make sure it's a gift with no strings attached, not alone. Why? Because it will destroy. And even though Proverbs is talking about friendship, we could probably mention this many other things, or money I should say. We could probably mention many other things and where a lack of sense, a lack of wisdom has destroyed, has brought division in the middle of friendship all because we were not discerning with this person and the fact that they lack sense or 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 we thought we could trust them and we come to find out we really can't, it can be a great source of destruction in our relationships. And so we must obviously have wisdom on who we are choosing as friends. Then we must have wisdom on how we interact with those people and say, is this really good for them to do and get what they want? Because that leads into our next thing here. Proverbs 19, verse 4. Wealth brings many new friends. The poor man is deserted by his friends. Many seek the favor, verse 6 of Proverbs 19, of a generous man and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. You want a lot of friends? Go out and buy them everything they want. Stand up at the end of church service and say, You're all invited to the finest steak restaurant in town. I'm buying. Trust me, I will be your friend. And I will take advantage of what you are offering. Lavish on them everything. But understand, of course, when the well is dry, we know the relationship is sure to change. Jesus implied this in a parable of the prodigal son. 
prodigal takes his share of the inheritance. He spends it on reckless living. Suddenly he runs out and a famine arises and he was willing to eat pig food. And Luke tells us no one, no one gave him anything. And of course, the point of the parable is that the son is totally devastated before he comes to his senses. It's amazing that all of the ones who are more than willing to take his money now have nothing. Nothing that can help him in his time of need. Let's be honest, what destroys friendships probably more than money, which probably most of us feel like we have very little of today, especially if we've gotten gas lately or bought groceries or whatever. What destroys friendship more than that, of course, is the evil evil of gossip. Proverbs 16, verse 28 tells us a dishonest man spreads strife. They whisper, separates close friends. Talk about others when we get in the middle of friends when we're willing to share the latest without finding out the truthfulness of the matter. Without even asking the question, does this really need to be shared? What happens? It can divide people. Strife can occur. Separation can occur. Proverbs 17, verse 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates even close friends. We've already talked a whole sermon about the power of our words and the wisdom that comes from watching our words. And as true as it is in our lives, what we say to God and what we say to ourselves or whatever, it's also just as true as what we say to each other. We see these two verses, how our words can be damaging and have devastating impacts. Even on the closest closest of relationships. What's wrong with gossip? Well, consider this story from Yiddish or Jewish folklore. One man was such a habit of telling malicious truth about the local rabbi. One day he was overcome by remorse and, and he begged the rabbi to forgive him. He went to the rabbi and he said, tell me, how can I make amends? The rabbi told him, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take two pillows. I want you to go to the public square and I want you to cut the pillows open. Wave them in the air and then come back. The gossip doing this, feeling this remorse, quickly went home and grabbed two pillows and a knife. He went to the square, he cut the pillows open, he waved them in the air, the filling went everywhere. Hastened back to the rabbi's chamber. I did what you said, rabbi. The rabbi smiled and said, good. Now to realize how much harm is being done by your gossip, go back to the square and collect all of those feathers. You can only imagine, of course, the impossibility of that task, but that's exactly the way it is, and that's, that's what happens when we as individuals willing to speak out of turn and willing to speak of things that don't edify, that don't 
bring life and healing to each other. So friendships can easily be destroyed. Second point, though, this morning is that friendships can be strengthened. What, what fortifies friendships? What fortifies? What strengthens friendships? Damage can be done easily. As Christians, I imagine most of us, if not all of us, have, have done this damage, and sometimes we've had to go back and try to reverse this damage. But let us consider now that there are things that can strengthen and fortify our friendships. Proverbs 17, verse 17 tells us that a friend loves at all times. Brother is born for adversity. Key word there, of course, is all times. Not in the good times, not in the bad, not when the money is flowing, not when you're buying dinner, but in every situation a friend that is a true friend will be there. And will be true to you. One of the bitter things about doing funerals, or I should say bittersweet really, is the fact that you meet friends sometimes of loved ones. Ones that have gone on and some of them have been friends since the earliest of ages. Of course, it's bitter again because of the situation, but, it, but it's sweet to hear the stories that this friend and, and the deceased have, have been together for so long, have been through thick and thin, has been there now in, in the worst time. They are still there with them. Many of us are quick to walk away. The Apostle Paul, of course, talked about it to Timothy when he was there in prison. He's like, he's like, when I'm here in prison, it seems like everyone has deserted me. No one is there with me. No one wants to stick by me and stay with me. He told Timothy, of course, that the Lord was there with him. Isn't it good to know that someone has got your back? Someone is watching over you. Someone looking over you, not just in the situations where everything is good, but also when nothing is good. We need individuals in our life like that. But not only do friends stick by you at all times, but secondly, friends are willing to correct you. They're willing to correct you when you're wrong. Proverbs 27, verse 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. We love the kisses of others, don't we? Grandparents love the kisses from your grandbabies. It's great when they come and climb in your lap and smother you with kisses. You love the smooch and kiss on them. I tried that last week with one of my sons to give him a big kiss. He cold cocked me and it took me three hours to get revived. So I think I'm past that point in my life. Now all I do is get out the wallet and say, how much money do you need? Although they have more money than I do most of the time. The fact of the matter is that that's the way it works. Oh, we're all wonderful. I mean, they, we've got all these people that are starting to run for president. And I imagine around these individuals are all sorts of people that are loving on them and, and, and telling them how wonderful they are because they want to see them cross the finish line and here on 
whenever election day is in 2024, that they've been elected president and then they're going to reward them with an ambassadorship to wherever. By the way, if you do win a presidency and you hear this recording, I'm willing to be the ambassador to Jamaica or Bahamas or Bermuda or wherever. So I'm willing. I'm available. But I'm not giving you any money. So I don't know how it's going to work. Of course, all the ones that drop out of the race, my guess is they're going to lose all these friends. They're going to start moving on. One that's telling them, oh, you'd be the greatest president. I'd love to call you Madam President or Mr. President. They're, they're going to drop them. and they're going, Oh no, my allegiance is with this guy. I don't know why that guy even got in a race. The wounds of a friend are faithful. I think it was Chuck Swindoll I heard. Talked about he went to see his friend and his friend knocked him out. Stabbed him in his back. And then he took his money. Chuck Swindoll said he's one of my closest friends. You see, his friend was a doctor and he was removing sickness from Chuck Swindoll's body and so he administered the anesthesia. He used the surgical knife. And then he billed him appropriately. That's what a friend does. Sometimes a friend has to speak truth to you. Do you have individuals that are willing to speak truth into your life or willing to help you? They're willing to be with you. Are you willing to speak truth to your friend? And you see them going astray, you stand back like, I never knew that guy. I don't know what you're talking about. Friends are always with you. They correct you. Finally, friends are there to comfort you. Oil and perfume, Proverbs 27, verse 9, make the heart glad. The sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Yeah, you love to go to the spa, don't you? You love the bubble bath, the jacuzzi, the hot tub, the massage, the facial. Maybe even some of you men like your manicures and pedicures. We don't judge here, whatever. Some of us like to talk to you out back after church, though. (laughs) You love the luxurious treatment of, of being felt and made to feel better. It's so good. It's so relaxing. That's what Solomon is telling us. It makes the heart glad when you pour the refreshing oil on the individual and, and you perfume them and they feel like a million dollars. What does the soul really good is knowing there's a friend who's there to counsel, to comfort, to walk with you. That's what's really sweet to the soul. That's what really brings healing, not just to the individual. Certainly, if you want to go and, and do the massage and the facials and all the other stuff, go and enjoy. But, but if you really want your soul to be healed, sometimes you just need to sit down with a good friend and talk to them. Listen to them. Let them comfort and counsel and guide. Friends are always with you. They correct you. They comfort you. Friends also also make you better. Proverbs 27, verse 17, iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. Of course, as I think about this verse, we immediately think about it used in a Christian context. As a matter of fact, the church we went to before we moved out here was had a men's group called Iron Sharpeners. Probably 
11 out of 10 churches in our country probably have something like that. But he uses this verse, men sharpens each other as iron sharpens iron. But, but in reality, verse 17 explains that people should not shy away from interaction with each other because doing so brings us and makes us better. The sharpening can occur in any area in which people are engaged. Whether it's business, whether it's intellectual or physical competition. We know what it's like to have someone uh, maybe play a sport and they do something. We think, no, i got to top them. i got to be better than them. And our competitive juices are flowing. And, and perhaps we go out and we, we do things a little bit better because we want to prove ourselves. See what happens when somebody is engaged in learning and it propels us to do so. We want to learn. We want to be like them. The truth of the matter is, if we want to get better, we have to be better. We have to follow those who can make us better, I should say. People talk about how you should... Have a circle of people that you want to be. If you want to be rich, then hang around people that are richer than you, not poorer than you. That's why none of you hang around me, I guess. I ain't got two nickels to rub together. Don't worry, I'm not taking up an offering. I mean, I've talked about how poor I am so much. Some of y'all are like, he's going to want to take up an offering, ain't he? <laughs> I think I'm probably doing good enough, all right? Don't worry. They talk about if you want to be a better businessman, find businessmen who, who are running bigger businesses and, and learn from them. Dare I say, most of all, as we do take this verse in a Christian context, we should look to those who are closer to Jesus. We should look at those who are growing or more mature in Christ. And we should seek to learn from them and realize that there are individuals that we can grow in our relationship with Christ by their involvement. And if you never take time to, to get around people that can make your Christian life better, okay, and let me just say, for the record, I have on my phone a podcast app I've got so many podcasts that I just ever can't listen to them. Sometimes they just keep downloading. I think, what in the world? In fact, we were in Kenya. I wound up using a lot of data inadvertently because it was downloading. I didn't realize I had it set to download on data. It's good to do. I, I love to sit there and watch YouTube sometime and, and watch individuals that are, that are growing. Heck, Mary said, you want to start a YouTube channel sometime and see if you can make money off of it because you're watching it? Well, maybe I will. I'll see. The fact of the matter is, more so than television, podcasts, YouTube, Christian radio, online Bible studies, we need, we need the help of individuals who we can see and meet with. Can push us closer to God. I would encourage you. You see your bulletin. You see these Bible studies we have listed. Consider committing and joining. Coming apart. I encourage you next Sunday when the temptation is there to go fishing or to go to the races or, or if you're like me to want to go to the football games. 
Say, no, I need to be a part of people that are going to make me closer to God. Friendships can be destroyed. They can be fortified and strengthened. And finally, finally, as we finish today, we need to remember Christ is our true friend. Christ is our true friend. Many of us are familiar with this verse in Proverbs 18.24. A man man of many companions can come to ruin. But there is a friend. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You can have a lot of clingers, a lot of hangers-on, a lot of worshipers. A lot of people that want to see you become president again so that they can be ambassador to Italy. But you're blessed if you have a friend. If you have a friend that's closer than your own flesh and blood. You're really blessed. As much as you guys can look at my family and say, yeah, those three boys are yours, that's for sure. You feel like you're kind of cursing them or whatever. As much as you can look at them and say, the brothers, obviously. May there be someone in our life that if one finds himself here and one finds himself in California and one finds himself in Florida, may there be a friend that's even closer than their relationship could ever be. Of course, like I said, many of us see this verse and we think, we think not just of a friend, even though that's the context, but we think, of course, as appointing to Christ. We say Jesus is that friend that is closer than a brother. And how true that is, after all, consider what Jesus tells us in John 15. He said, this is my commandment. Again, going back to what I read in chapter 13, that we love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you. Again, that's what Paul tells us in Romans 9 to 11. God's choosing, God's providence, His electing us to be His children. He chose us and appointed us that we should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, He will give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Yes, Jesus tells us. Tells us as a church, as believers, we are to be surrounded and characterized by love. We are to be willing to lay our lives for each other. But He doesn't just tell us, does He? He shows us. He looks at those 12. And again, these are individuals who frustrate Him to no end. I'm going to be greatest, ain't I? Jesus, Jesus, pick me. 
One of them sitting there holding a bag of money and he's saying, hey, how can I get 30 more pieces? Come and let's make a deal. Men in his greatest hour of need would run away all except for one. He looks at him and says, you are my friend. I am going to lay my life down for you. I'm going to die for your sins. It may feel like this morning that no one knows or cares about you. I hope that if you're feeling that way, that we as a church can change, change that feeling in your life. We don't always do a good job. If you feel like nobody knows or cares about you, there is one. There's the one who loves you. It's an everlasting love. There's one who died on the cross for your sins. There's one who said, I will lay down my life for you. Not because you deserve it, not because you're great, not because there's nothing else to do, but because He loves you. No matter where you are, if you will turn to Him, you will find His forgiveness. And you will find that friend that sticks closer than a brother. Yes, it was a blessing a few weeks ago to go and be with my younger brother. Again, he lives in St. Louis. Can't always see each other. Sometimes I'm here by myself and I feel like I'm all alone and I'm reminded there's someone who loves me, that's always with me, who understands far better than I or my own brother, my own wife, ever understand so in those times of desperation and loneliness you have a friend if you don't know him he wants to be your friend today he wants to be your savior your redeemer but just as he gives and shows us that love for us you and I must be willing must be willing to do that for each other. I pray that you and I will always, always have that attitude. We're not always going to agree about everything. Yes, you're always going to be right and I'm going to be wrong. Whatever works. We're not always going to have the same interests and tastes. We're diverse. We're different. God made us that way. Trust me, we don't want everybody to come in here and act and look the same way. It's fine. But we must always be a place where we welcome and love and receive one another. We're willing to forgive one another. We're willing to speak truth to each other. We're willing to exhibit Christ to each other. I pray that we would. By that, the world will see. They won't see because we're as good as Taylor Swift. We'll never be as good. Well, I don't, I don't even know how good she is, but she makes money hand over fist. So I guess she's better than I am, which ain't saying much. We'll never be as great as these individuals that can charge 50000 100000 half a million dollars on the speaking circuit. I'll never be 
that eloquent. We'll never have the facilities that are so pristine that the toilets are encased in gold. Again, seems like a waste of good money to me, but whatever. We can be the place the love of Christ is demonstrated through us. And then let's pray this morning, shall we? Lord, I know I don't do this. I don't exhibit that love like I should. I fell many times. Lord, I pray that you would search my heart. Help me to love like like you do. Help me to be like you are. Help me to follow you. God, and help me to do it not just in my dedication and devotion to you, but also in my dedication and devotion to each other. Help us to repair and restore the rifts, the relationships. God, help us as a church to exhibit to this world that even though we are different, we're young, we're old, and we're educated, and we're not so educated, and we're black or white or whatever, that there's, there's something real in us. We love each other. Help us to reflect your goodness. The way we live our lives, we pray. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand together? Let's close with the song of worship.